You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This is episode number 138 where we're discussing the X-Men Dark Phoenix trailer. Now I am your one and only host for this evening. My name is Tim and due to the wild weather that we've had up here in Calgary, you know, we're in the shadows of the mountains. We got a foot plus of snow today on October 2nd. So the boys weren't able to make it down from their respective homes. So I am here to walk you through a few key news items from this past week in Nerd. Now one being this very new and very maybe exciting, maybe not, depends on your perspective, X-Men Dark Phoenix trailer. Now my first initial impression on this, I was actually a bit intrigued by it. A lot of people dismiss this. Do we need more X-Men films when we know they're going to be rebooted? Maybe, maybe not. Unfortunately, the boys aren't here to break this down, so maybe we'll do a little bit more of that next week. But I'm going to kind of give my first initial thoughts on the trailer, as well as walk through a few of the Spider-Man set leaks, as well as talk about the more recent news of Disney signing Kathleen Kennedy to an extension of her contract to run Lucasfilm. Now, for me, that is very exciting. I can't wait to dive into that. But if you're new here, there's usually three of us at the table. But this is my first shot at actually going solo. You know, I've watched the crew over at Tumbling Saber. Kyle's gone solo. Carlos has gone solo on Thinking Out Loud. And Mark Godsiff, you know, he's got a patron out there that he runs solo every almost every single podcast he does. So I thought I'd take a poke at this and just see how it goes. You know, I'm interested in doing a little bit more podcasting and giving my commentary around things and maybe doing a bit more of the solo type of podcasting, giving quick opinions. So this is a bit of a test for me. You know, I'm running you guys through a bit of the ringer, and I'd like your opinion here with regards to the solo podcast. Because if it's something that you like and you want to maybe hear a little bit more commentary, whether it's for myself, Sanjay, or Troy, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But what we always do in the nerd room here at the top of the show is we always discuss our weekend nerd. Now, like I said, I'm running solo and I don't get to hear Troy and Sanjay's weeks. But they both have, you know, from a distance somewhat influenced my weekend nerd because I spent a little bit of time over at my dude Troy's house this past weekend. And for the first time, I got to see his two hot toys. Now, he's got a Luke Skywalker Return of the Jedi hot toy, as well as an Anakin Revenge of the Sith hot toy. Now, this is my first time actually putting hands and holding a hot toy for myself. And I found myself overly impressed with the sculpt, the detail, and the actual heft of the figure. Now, they're not super heavy, but they feel robust. They feel like quality you know we were paying upwards of 300 plus dollars for these things and that's what you'd expect and that's what i saw so this kind of got the wheels spinning in my head you know i talked to troy a bit about this and we're again going back and forth about how we want to refocus legends how we want to refocus black series but for me i'm looking down this pipe now i'm thinking maybe i do want to get into 
Hot Toys. I don't know. I got really excited. I threw an image of a Captain America. Now, it's a variant suit option from, I believe, Captain America Civil War. It's black and white. It's got an Avengers logo on the chest. So it's not something that's canonical as far as the MCU, but it has that Chris Evan likeness. Captain America is my favorite character, both in comics and the MCU. And I'm really starting to look at this. And I threw it out to you guys. And some of you threw back an opinion that seemed to be more or less unanimous about, is this a rabbit hole? Is this a place, a deep, dark path I want to walk with regards to Hot Toys? Because yes, it can become expensive. And knowing the type of collector I am, I'm not just going to go one in I'm going to go several. So I have to really step back and you guys gave me some, some thoughts there and some almost a bit of motivation to step back and really rethink this. But I'd love to hear some of your guys' opinions that have actually purchased hot toys and why you purchase them over and beyond say a Marvel legend or a black series, because I'm, I'm really thinking things through here in the nerd room. You know, I've got a big focus on Captain America here. I don't want to move away from Star Wars, but holding those hot toys in my hand you know, but kind of give me a different perspective on collecting. And Troy's kind of going, gone all in on these things. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's exciting time for me, you know. So as far as my week, it, it's been very light on collecting, but it's been a bit of a reflection period for me. And Hot Toys is at the top of mind. And I'm interested to hear from those that have actually collected Hot Toys. If you're out there, let me know what you guys think. Now, Sunjay, his influence on me this week was he picked up the solo steelbook for us last week and i had an opportunity to one rewatch the film and you know this is only my second time seeing it absolutely love this film like it's just a fun star wars flick it feels very star wars it's it's got that that great vibe that that repeatability that rewatchability to it that i like you know i always have rogue one or the force awakens or something to that effect on in the background whether it's mcu or star wars because i like to have that that background that ambient noise of nerd kind of playing in the background and this movie is rocketed to the top of my list for rewatchability in that universe yes i've seen all the other movies tens if not you know 20s 30s 40 50 times some of these films but this one i'm really enjoying it you know i loved it coming into the theater and i'm loving the film now now i had an opportunity to watch a few of the special features particularly the round table now the round table that was on the infinity war steelbook or extras was great. It was a director's roundtable, gave some perspective, some insight into how the directors themselves crafted this universe. And I've been hoping for more of this in the Star Wars universe, giving some perspective from the creators, from the actors themselves. Now, we got the director and the Jedi from The Last Jedi special features. It's a fantastic documentary on Ryan Johnson, his thought process, what he put into this. If you haven't watched that, high recommend. Now, this was a slightly different take on a roundtable where it had Ron Howard moderating a roundtable with all of the principal actors from the film. Now, it felt a little bit awkward at times because Ron Howard was trying to, at least it seemed to walk around some of the behind the scenes issues and not really bring them to the forefront because there was some discussion and, and some realization on my part that Ron Howard didn't do well, you know, he did lots, but I thought he basically reshot that whole film. But when they're talking about the Chewbacca and Han, the, the meeting scene, the fighting, that was shot by Lord Miller and used. And a lot of the, the discussions that they had were less about the filmmaking process and more about the actors themselves coming up with some headcanon as to how 
they their characters met how they would feel about a certain aspect or an introduction of another character to this universe so i found it a a not as informative as i would have liked and and it's not the same as we got from the the last jedi or even infinity war so it's still great and i still really appreciated the watch but it was a little bit different than i was expecting for that that type of round table you know especially having ron howard moderate that it, it wasn't so much about diving into into the process yes there is some of that you know you can argue that sure half of it was about process and how they got hired on how they first met but it didn't really take a deep dive into the behind the scenes and now i'm sure they're a bit handcuffed by what happened the pace of things and not wanting to give this this perceived idea that yes it did all fall apart the cast unfortunately you know, they're not going to have an opportunity to get back together because it did seem to have quite a bit of chemistry sitting at this table. So again, that highlights a bit of the disappointment that we may not see these these actors reprise these roles in any substantial way outside of something like a Forces of Destiny or maybe a cartoon or something. But I'm disappointed that we're not going to get to see more of that. Alden Einreich and Donald Glover, you know, they, they had great chemistry across that table. And I really appreciated, again, what Ron Howard was able to bring. But I would have liked a little bit more substance behind that. Now, for the final piece of my weekend nerd here. Now, I talked the last couple weeks about me taking a deep dive into Marvel Unlimited. Now, this is a subscription service from Marvel year-long where you get access to a huge back catalog. I think it's 20,000-plus comics digitally. And you can read them anytime. There's the ability to download a few onto the device. So you can take them offline. But I've had a great time. You know, this was an investment that I made because I wanted to throw myself back into comics. Now, I've always felt a bit off by it because I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the brick and mortar shops, to the single issue collecting. Now, I'm still doing that going forward with the new issues, but I found myself really taking a deep dive back into comic books over the last couple of weeks. You know, I spoke last week about the Brubaker series. This past week, I jumped into the Bendis, the first Bendis run on Avengers, the disassembled arc, which is absolutely fantastic. And that's led me right into a small five-issue series by Bendis called Secret War. Now, if you're a fan of the original Secret Wars, if you're a fan of this S.H.I.E.L.D. Nick Fury and a few key characters, particularly the ones that he's familiar with at this point in his career with Marvel in Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, you throw in Captain America and Spider-Man in there, and then you lump that all in with an X-Men and Wolverine, it's a great little contained story. The, the art is more in a graphic novel style of art. So it is absolutely fantastic. It's called Secret Wars. It's from 2004. It actually has the first introduction of Daisy Johnson, who is a character that if you watch Marvel's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., you'll be familiar with. So that's a recommend for me from Marvel Unlimited, this five-issue Secret Wars series. This is going back to Grab's question from last week about going back and rereading comics that you've wanted to read but have never read. The Secret War is something that I've had on my list. I actually even own the single issues, but I've never pulled them out of the board and bag, and I actually sat down and read it. So high recommend for me, and also Marvel Unlimited. You know, I'm, I'm finding that I'm averaging 10 to 15 comics a week now, where before I was hard-pressed to get two to three. This has just given me the ability and opened my, my whole comic book mind again, and I'm consuming so much, and I'm very, very excited. So 
high recommend if, if you're not on the Marvel Unlimited train, you know, I'm going to try every single week to come back here and say, look, here's a series I recommend. I'm going to try different things or at least two different types of series a week. We're also continuing with the Avengers run and the Brewbreaker run and Captain America. But high recommend. I got to thank and shout out to Grabs again. You know, that mistake has led me down this path and I'm really, really excited about comic book reading again. All right. So this week, you know, we're going to talk about the Marvel Dark Phoenix trailer, but I just wanted to give a nod to one other trailer that came out. You know, we had quite a few trailers drop over the past week or so, and one that came kind of out of nowhere for me was this Creed 2 trailer. Now, this follows up Creed 1 that was directed by Ryan Coogler of Black Panther fame and also starred Michael B. Jordan. Now, Michael B. Jordan is returning to that character of Adonis Creed, the son of Apollo Creed. Now, this film, it did tease the main plot with the original teaser trailer, but this one gives you full insight into it. And I was talking to Troy about this on the weekend, and we were both immensely, immensely excited for this because this is essentially a pseudo-sequel to Rocky IV. Now, this is my favorite Rocky film where you have Rocky going against the Russian machine in Ivan Drago. Now, this is going back to that and picking up the pieces of the death of Apollo Creed at the hands of Ivan Drago and having his son, Adonis Creed, go toe-to-toe with Ivan Drago's son, who is an enormous human being. Even to the point where I'm thinking that he may be bigger than Ivan Drago was all the way back when Rocky IV came out. Now, the thing about this that I love is that there is this underlying tension between Sylvester Stallone's Rocky character and Ivan Drago again. There's a scene that's been floating around the internet, a little gif that someone put together of a replicated scene or a mirrored scene from Rocky IV to Creed II. It looks absolutely incredible. Michael B. Jordan, as far as I'm concerned, can do absolutely no wrong. This man can produce villains, heroes, whatever. I'm fully in for Creed 2, and I'm immensely excited to go see it. You know, me and my dude Troy are going to go check this out for sure. And if you guys haven't seen that trailer, please just jump over and have a peek at it. Because if you're a fan at all of Rocky, you're going to really, really dig this. Now, jumping over to the MCU, this is a favorite topic of mine. And, you know, we've batted around a lot about Avengers 4, Captain Marvel over the past few weeks. But we have to remember that Phase 4 is bearing down on us post-Avengers 4 here. And the first film that's going to spin out of that is going to be Spider-Man Far From Home dropping in July of 2019. So only a couple months after this universe is changed permanently. You know, we may have the deaths of Captain America or Iron Man or whatever, but some of the pillars walking out of this is going to be your Black Panther, Doc Strange, Captain Marvel, and of course, our dude Spider-Man. Now, we're going to pick this up next week when Troy's back. He is the Spider-Man guy. But I just have to comment on these because Sanjay made us aware of these. And this was leaked on Twitter. And I apologize, I don't have the Twitter account here. But it's coming from the set. I believe they're shooting somewhere in Eastern Europe. And this is our first look at Jake Gyllenhaal, it appears, as the character or the villain of Mysterio. Now, I don't believe Jake Gyllenhaal has been officially confirmed for this role in this film. They're seemingly keeping this pretty tight-lipped, and maybe even until after Avengers 4, we're not going to see any official confirmation that Jake Gyllenhaal is, in fact, in this film. But it has been confirmed via these set photos. Now, they're a bit low-quality, low-resolution, 
but they give us our first look at what appears to be Mysterio's suit. Now, Mysterio, the character, I'm not abundantly familiar with. Again, I'm going to have to rely on Troy for some of that context a little bit next week, but from the outside, he is a caped character, gloves, and he's got a fishbowl on his head. Now, he is, I believe, an expert in illusion. He can teleport. I'm not sure if he's got some telepathic abilities or not. But this illusion idea seems to be something that they could potentially be playing on. But looking at this suit, this is kind of the big highlight we get from this. Now, it looks very Thor-esque. Now, I believe Sanjay made a comment that, yes, this does look like Thor. That was his first interpretation, that Thor was making some appearance in Spider-Man Far From Home. But closer look, the suit in itself looks relatively reminiscent of the Mysterio we're familiar with from the comic books. Now, it does seem, and my first opinion or my first comment on it was, it's going to take a bit of work to fit this into the universe of the MCU. This seems very much as Guardian. This seems very much Doctor Strange realm of villain, of costume, of look. So... For me, this is taking a big leap in Spider-Man Far From Home. I'm excited for this character. It's, again, a villain we haven't seen put to screen in the Spider-Man universe. And having an actor like Jake Gyllenhaal behind it makes me even more excited. But the first look here, it's a... I'm not going to say rough, but its it doesn't look like it conforms to the the style that we saw from Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, again, we're veering into something completely different here. You know, we're in a, a completely different setting. You know, Spider-Man's evolved a lot from his first appearance in Civil War through Infinity War and beyond. So the expectation is here that we're going to see a lot of growth in that character and maybe at the same time a lot of growth in his villain. Now, they brought to life the Vulture very well, which on the surface, could look silly, but they're able to pull that off. And what I'm hoping here, and you know, I have the utmost confidence in Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige, especially the design team and the directors here for Spider-Man Homecoming, that they're going to produce a, a good villain because this is a trend that we're seeing within the MCU is robust, well-developed villains. I don't want this to be the style of you know, what we got in, in The Amazing Spider-Man, where it's just throwing a different villain in there, a really rough backstory, and having him kind of fight and be the end of it. They have to really utilize this character and utilize the actor behind it. So, first impressions, uh, it, it, again, feels very Asgardian, not of the Spider-Man world. But again, I'm excited to see what Jake Gyllenhaal and what Marvel Studios can do in a post-Avengers world with the character of Spider-Man. You know, one disadvantage that Marvel Studios at this point in time with their control over Spider-Man has is that they have to constantly evolve this character and do different things that have been done in the past. They can't fall back on your Goblin. They can't fall back on even Doc Ock at this point. Yes, we can reimagine those things maybe somewhere down the line, but some of that is still fairly fresh and you have portrayals that people remember and i think going down the path of using different villains and you know building up a sinister six of some style over the course of three or four movies is a really good move but they they aren't able to rely on some of those those main villains that we're maybe more abundantly familiar with so going down the path of mysterio again you're not alienating an audience but you are required to do a bit more of backstory building you can't rely on what came before to give you at least a leg up for the audience as to who this character is yes thanos 
is another example where you had to do a bit of work. But again, they committed the time to that villain to give the audience at least that perceived idea of what this villain's about, what the backstory motivation. So all in all, Mysterio, I think, is going to be great. The costume needs a little bit of work, I think. At least maybe some CGI. Are they going to do the bull in the head? I think they have to in some form. They did. That is a a very recognizable feature of that villain. I think that they can probably pull it off. You know, they've done things like Arnim Zola. They, they've done fairly elaborate villains that you would think at the top of your head, no, they're never going to be able to produce a look that's going to feel believable in the MCU. Yes, we've spun out into all sorts of aliens and crazy stuff here. So again, I'm kind of retreading here a little bit, but I think that they need to do comic accurate, but also make sure it fits within the MCU. So I'm very excited for this, and I can't wait to hear the opinion of you guys and the opinion of Troy. Now, I know that Mysterio has had some very key influence on the development of the character of Spider-Man, and I'm super pumped to hear and see what they bring forward here. I'm not expecting a trailer anytime soon, but early in 2019, they, they've got to get this going somehow. I don't know how they're going to do this, how they're going to roll out a trailer pre-Avengers 4 for a Spider-Man film that happens after. So the marketing here is going to have to be something that is very well thought out you're going to confuse an audience and you don't want to do that going into spider-man far from home all right just taking a pause on marvel here and swinging over to star wars briefly now kathleen kennedy has been the head of lucasfilm since the disney takeover since george lucas stepped down as the head here and she has been able to bring forward a revitalized Star Wars universe. And she's been able to shape this and craft this into something that is an absolute global phenomenon. Yes, Star Wars in itself has always been huge, but not on this level. You look at the different content that we're getting, it extends across every single platform that you can imagine. Everything from comic books to the films to TV to whatever, to the streaming service that Disney is producing or pulling together that has a heavy reliance on Star Wars. And look at the films that have been produced. You know, not only from a financial perspective, they've been extremely successful under the guidance of Kathleen Kennedy. But my personal opinion is here, they've also been excellent films. Now, I've had my issues with The Last Jedi, but you look at films like Solo, you look at films like The Force Awakens and Rogue One. These are some of my favorite Star Wars films of all time. They all sit within my top five or six films. So I think that's quite telling. You know, she's gotten a huge amount of blowback from a small, very vocal part of... I'm not even going to say fandom of a, a group of naysayers that don't believe she's doing a good job. But what Disney has done here is they've given her a great vote of confidence, a public vote of confidence by extending her contract to run Lucasfilm for another three years. Now, this was reported here in The Hollywood Reporter last Friday. And for me, this is extremely exciting news because I'm thoroughly enjoying what Star Wars is doing and the direction that it is going. There's always going to be opinions. Yes, I have opinions. I have things that I'd like to see different. But at the end of the day, the direction that it's been going under the guidance of Kathleen Kennedy, I think has been all positive. And them giving her this public vote of confidence, I think is an incredible win for this section of fandom that is supportive of Kathleen Kennedy, that is supportive of the positivity that surrounds what's going on in Star Wars. That that section of fandom that is still 
immensely enthralled, engaged, and excited about what's next for Star Wars. If you go back a few episodes, Troy and I broke down what's coming in 2019 alone for Star Wars under Kathleen Kennedy's watchful eye. Everything from theme parks to TV shows to films, episode 9, of course, I'm just glad that they're going to give her another three years to see through this, what do you want to call it, a transition phase of Star Wars as we move away from the, the saga a little bit into this new realm where we're getting you know different trilogies that aren't particularly focused on the Skywalkers. We're moving into different TV shows, live action TV shows, and we're moving into a world with Benioff and Weiss. So she's going to have the ability to have her hand in that producer cap on as we go through this next phase and step you know, away a bit from the saga, from the familiarity that is the Skywalker story and moving into doing something different. You know, we've been pushing for this for a little while. Let's take a little risk in Star Wars. I think she's the person, you know, given her background in producing films from E.T. to Jurassic Park, some of the best films of all time, she was a producer on. So this, this, this woman, she is an incredible leader. You know, she is highly praised within her community and within ours as well. And I think she's the right person to transition Star Wars from something that we're familiar with to something new and different. So again, huge thumbs up for Disney, huge thumbs up for Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy herself getting this extension on her contract to see through Star Wars for another three years. I can't wait to maybe see her if I get there at Star Wars Celebration in 2019. All right, guys. Well, I think it's about time that, you know, this is going to be a short, shortened episode, of course, you know, you only have my opinion here, but I want to run down in a bit of detail this X-Men Dark Phoenix trailer. Now, I'm going to play it here in the background. You're not going to hear it in the audio because I'm not set up for that. <laughs> but what I want to do is I just want to touch on some of the key elements of this trailer itself. Now, when it first dropped, it was announced a day or two before it dropped, I think, on James Corden with Sophia Turner, who is playing the title character of the Dark Phoenix or Jean Grey. And my first overall opinion was, okay, I'm ready to see the conclusion of this franchise. I've been watching this since the year 2000. I went with my cousin at the old Cinema 4 in the town I grew up with. Shitty seats, shitty projector, small screen, but I saw the first X-Men film there. And I remember that vividly going to the theater and seeing that. And I've been with this franchise for 18, will be 19 years by the time this film drops. So I feel like, yes, there's been ups and downs. I've had major issues with films that even people really enjoyed, like Logan. The timeline bothers me to no end. But overall, I'm kind of ready to see this end. I'm ready for this film, and I'm hoping that they at least go down a path where we get a, a relative conclusion to this franchise. You know, the last installment of x-men apocalypse you can go back and hear a review i did not speak very highly of that i thought there's some major fundamental flaws with this film and it just didn't go the direction that maybe it should have with a character like apocalypse i feel like the x-men franchise in itself has been sitting and stagnating for years they haven't leaped forward and done anything substantially different. You know, we're seeing Magneto come out of retirement. We're seeing Professor Xavier struggle with something. We're seeing 
a band of mutants come together to defeat some bigger evil. Let's, yeah, and I get that's comic books, but let's do something a little different here. So I don't think we're going to get that. I do have hopes that this will at least conclude this series and give me a, a satisfactory ending to something I've invested 19 years into. You know, so, and I, I don't know. I, there's a lot of people saying that, we don't really need this film. It's it's just another rehashing of The Last Stand or something to that effect. But I, I want to give this at least, enough, at least enough breathing room to come out, be a film, and give me some conclusion in it. What they did at the end of Apocalypse was what got me the most excited. The film in itself, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a toss away. But the end where... They show the X-Men, you know, our title characters from the 1990s in their cartoon-esque, that colorful uniforms. And that's where I was hoping they're going to pick up. Unfortunately, they didn't quite get there. It seems that they've gone with a more modernized or a group-looking style of costumes, this Grant Morrison-esque X-Men big yellow black suits again. So... We've we've gone and kind of gone back and degraded a bit into something that isn't quite what I was excited for. And that's kind of the biggest thing that leaped out at me in this, you know, not breaking down the plot or whatever, but just the aesthetic of the outfits. You know, it's not the most important part, but it's a huge part of the X-Men universe, you know, especially considering this is set in 1992. This is set during the peak of the X-Men when you relate it back to the comic books. The 90s were the X-Men's time. They were bigger than Avengers. They were bigger than Spider-Man. They are bigger than everything. These were selling millions of copies weekly in these books. They had this 90s cartoon that was fantastic. I grew up with this. So my excitement level was immensely high coming into the Dark Phoenix that we're going to get at least some replication of those costumes and of those characters. You know, they have a ton of source material to pull from. And I get that the Dark Phoenix is a substantial storyline. They teased it in Apocalypse. But did we need a retread of The Last Stand? Probably one of the, at least films that could be widely agreed upon as as one of the worst in that original X-Men franchise, you know, outside of the Logan origin story, or Wolverine origin story, I should say. So, you know, I came into it optimistic. I saw that and I was thinking, okay, what are they doing? Okay, we're retreading this. We knew they were going to retread this in some fashion, but it seems like they're hitting a lot of similar beats. But let's just kind of get into the trailer a little bit here. So it starts off and the most catching thing or one of the most catching things about this trailer is the theme music or the music they play in the background. They layer in This Is The End By The Door. So I think it's a, it's a cover here and it slows the pace down a little bit here and... I don't know if this is is speaking to the film in itself or kind of the holistic idea of the X-Men in the Fox side of the Marvel Universe. You know, is this the action of the end? Because one question I have coming into this and going out of this trailer is, does Fox have the ability to end this universe with this film? To have the Dark Phoenix absolutely wipe out everything and then it's rebooted as it goes over to Feige you know, going back to Bob Iger's statements that, of course, they're going to reboot this. Maybe not in those exact words, but Feige's going to get a hold of this. He's not going to use any of this broken continuity. You know, he spent a lot of time crafting his universe, and he's not going to take something and try to fit it in, jam it in this kind of round 
round peg into a square hole. That's not going to happen here. They're going to reboot this. So are they going to actually end the X-Men as we know it in this Fox universe and take the opportunity just to say, that's it? Probably not. But it seems like an interesting take. And that's kind of directly where my where my mind went. But as this trailer begins, you know, we get a great view of the X-Mansion here and a flashback scene to Jean Grey coming to Charles Xavier and probably Magneto at this time. Now, in X-Men The Last Stand, we saw a very similar scene where we do have Magneto and Charles Xavier approaching Jean Grey with her parents to take her away to the school for the gifted children. Now, Again, this is a bit of a rehash. We've seen a little bit of this before. And I think this ties directly into later on in the trailer when we have Jean Grey, Sophia Turner's character, going and seeing Michael Fassbender's Magneto, who is, again, in some form of retirement. But it's it's taking that, that general concept, and we hear this in voiceover from both James McAvoy's Professor Xavier and Jennifer Lawrence's Mystique in this basic concept that he's gone in and put up mental blocks to, to hide this this dark phoenix or this dark inside of Jean Grey. You know, there's some just powers displayed in the early part of this trailer where we do see her parents potentially being killed. Now, whether that's her actively doing that or that's an influence from the dark phoenix, we don't really know. But he seems to have put up some serious mental blocks unbeknownst to the majority of the X-Men. Now, this is kind of an interesting debate to have with regards to the X-Men, you know, with regards to Professor Xavier. And Magneto comes out and calls this, is that you're always apologizing, Charles. There's always a speech, which I think is interesting related into what he's done. Now, he's always portrayed as, you know, the altruistic, the pinnacle of mutant kind. But he does have a, a dark history with regards, and especially with, Jean Grey. Now, this idea of him blocking her out, I think is interesting. Yes, we've seen this, but I want to see a little bit more of that, that expiration of the darker end of Charles Xavier, even to what he's done, what extent he's done this to Jean Grey. Now, McAvoy is looking quite good as, as Charles Xavier. I love his portrayal of the character. You know what? Going back from first class all the way through, I think that him and Fassbender are the strong points of this franchise. You know, would I want them two to be you know pulled out of this and dropped in the MCU? Probably, especially Fassbender. I think he's been absolutely fantastic in this role. I could kind of give or take the rest of the X-Men. They're there. I know the powers. You know, Quicksilver is, is in here, and I'm not too overly familiar with the other characters, at least in this universe. Yes, I've read all the comic books and all that, but those are the two characters that, to me, again, stand out in this film. I'm not still totally on board with Jennifer Lawrence's mystique in this universe. Now, there was a, a very interesting, at least in Days of Future Past, interesting take on her character, this really neat pivot point that they did as to this one moment in time, her assassinating, I believe it was the, the president or whomever, um, in that moment, her decision there changed the course of history. I like that pivot in there but seeing her as part of the x-men here still kind of throws me off you know there's a tease at the end of days of future past i believe that was never followed up with her actually taking logan you know what happened there who knows this, this is a a franchise of abrupt stops and starts in the timeline 
there's a character in here played by Jessica Chastain. I really like her as as an actress, and I think she is, is very strong. So she appears to have a villainous role of some sort. Now, I've heard that it's rumored that she could potentially be a shape-shifting scroll, something a bit more cosmic, you know, again, leaning on that cosmic end of the Dark Phoenix story. That would be interesting to me. And it could be confusing that we have two scrolls dropping into theaters or two different versions of them in the same year. Marvel now appears because they've shifted the date on this to be getting the scrolls to the screen first. So if she's in fact playing that, it's going to be interesting to see how they weave this in to the overall story because this trailer spends a lot of time focused on Gene Gray and the Dark Phoenix being the villain. But then in the background, you've got Magneto and the, then you've got Jessica Chastain's character. But they are leaning again back on very familiar territory. All of the, the main characters look great. Everyone from Beast to Storm. I like the look of Scott Summers, Cyclops. I'm excited to see these characters, but again, I, I want it to be something new and something fresh and rehashing a story that we've already seen on screen. It's going to be hard to, to kind of do that. As we get into the mid part of the trailer here, we get a really good look of all of the X-Men in their new X-Men costumes. And as I said at the top here, I'm not too thrilled with these. You know, it is a throwback costume and that's fine, but think about these costumes if if they had the 90s costumes on like this scene in itself i think would look exponentially better and sophia turner looks great she looks to be putting on quite a performance here battling that that inner darkness that she has and struggling with that and then kind of almost tipping over the other side and kind of going back to this idea of it being a bit more cosmic we do see the i think it's the blackbird fly into space at some point to meet what appears to be the cosmic end of the Phoenix. Now, an interesting bit about the Phoenix here, at least the way they're portraying this trailer, is is it a cosmic entity that enters Jean Grey, or is it kind of two pieces to make a whole, where Jean Grey is one piece and this cosmic entity that we see, at least in some part of this trailer, is that the second piece? And it's only when you get them together where you get this exasperated power of Jean Grey and the true Dark Phoenix. You know, does it take her internal struggle, this internal dark portion of herself, in tandem with what we get with the cosmic side of things to actually form this Dark Phoenix character? Going back to, to Magneto here, he doesn't get a ton of focus, and of course he needs to be part of this story. Now, Michael Fassbender, like I said, he's fantastic in this, but... Again, coming back to the idea that we're rehashing a lot of things. You go back to Apocalypse. He was a man who had found tranquility, had found peace in what he was doing. He was no longer Magneto here. But then we get him again coming out of retirement, again donning the helmet. For what reason, I don't know. He seems maybe driven by the idea that Charles was in the background here doing something again that wasn't above board, wasn't as... Charles Xavier portrays himself and maybe Magneto's fighting back against that. I don't really know where they're going to go with the Magneto character. The I had an issue with Apocalypse and Magneto being one of the four horsemen and Apocalypse taking him to Auschwitz to pressure him into becoming something more, to create, commit genocide on a population and taking him back to where that happened to his people. I struggled with that in that character and I don't really know 
what more they can do to evolve this character. You know, do we get a little glimpse here of the Brotherhood of the Evil Mutants? He's kind of standing toe-to-toe right after they show him unveiling his mask here with Charles and a few of the X-Men. I don't know what they're going to do here. You know, do they need to be building up our Brotherhood of the Evil Mutants in the background while also having the Dark Phoenix, while also having the Skrull or potential Skrull character in Jessica Chastain? It seems like a lot of plot elements here. Could you have left Magneto out of this film entirely? Now, I don't want to see Fassbender on the sidelines of this, but my fear is that they're putting this character in because he is a beloved character, because he's a a favorite in portraying this. But how much is he going to actually factor in to this? Is he going to be simply doing the same thing that we saw in X-Men The Last Stand, where he is kind of pointing Jean Grey in a certain direction, and she's executing what she wants to but he's using her as a bit of a weapon i don't know if i want to see that again i want to see something a bit more independent from Jean gray i want to see that struggle between her and scott summers between her and professor xavier i don't want again another retread of x-men the last stand there's there's a quick glimpse here of a grave scene of a, a funeral of some sort someone freshly buried and i like to get your guys opinion here who dies here? You know, when I look at this cast of characters, I'm not sure who they kill. You know, you go to The Last Stand, you know, we saw the death, I think it was in this, we saw the death of Charles Xavier. We saw the death of Scott Summers at some point in there. I think it was right at the start because I think, believe James McAvoy went over to film Superman Returns. So are they going to retread that? Are they going to have a, the death of Scott Summers again at the hands of Jean Grey? Is this going to be a tipping point for her? Is Charles Xavier going to die? I don't think he is because he seems to be quite prevalent throughout the majority of this trailer in different scenes in different locations. But I'm interested to hear what you guys think. You know, who's buried here? Is it her parents? Like, are we going back to a scene that is is a flashback where... You know, we see that big car crash at the start. Is it just simply her parents? You know, that's probably the most logical explanation for that, that it's not an X-Men in itself. It is a scene of her as a child going to the funeral and not too long after linking up with Charles Xavier. You could probably even see Charles Xavier showing up at her parents' funeral. And this was his kind of first indication. Maybe he felt her in some way commit this act and he's gone out to save her so it might be something a little more simple i'm you know the first thought is okay it's, it's a big death I'm, I'm thinking probably not this might just be a tease to try to get you to think but again i say that and the trailer moves on and we see what appears to be the x-men at this same funeral you know it's raining and all that so interesting I, I'm, not, I'm not too sure how they're gonna approach this and then the trailer itself does end with Jean Grey seemingly embracing the Phoenix. You know, you see the CGI change in her face. She's getting the the red along her cheeks and all that. So, you know, overall opinion on this trailer, you know, I walked into it optimistic. My first initial viewing, I was actually willing to accept this. I was kind of excited. I think I even threw it out on Twitter that I'm willing to give this film a chance. I'm kind of intrigued by it. You know, on subsequent reviews, looking back on it, breaking it down in a little bit more detail, it's very, very familiar. And that's not something that I think they want to do in this universe to cap it off. You know, this thing isn't going really beyond this film, this universe at least. You know, there's the New Mutants, 
they announced some gambit film again that's been you know on the docket for what seems like forever but essentially ending the same way that the previous trilogy did with x-men the last stand with a very similar story with a very similar feeling story you know i'm i'm reminded or i'm feeling you know a sense of deja vu a sense of repetitiveness and a sense of you know i'm not really overly intrigued anymore i find myself looking back on this thinking do i need to see this do i want to see this and i'm gonna see it in theaters i'm gonna cap off this x-men universe in some fashion here you know we're going to review this film because it's essentially the end of an era when it comes to that 19 years of commitment that i've put into this franchise but is this going to be the best x-men film absolutely not is this going to be a game changer no is this going to be a movie yeah i think it's just going to be that so my hope is is that they're able to maybe adapt that dark phoenix story a bit more holistically Go a bit more cosmic. Do something a little different. Don't rehash what we've seen in the past. And maybe give the X-Men the limelight here. You know, there's a lot of Professor X here. There's some Magneto. I want to see the X-Men. I want to see those costumes. I don't think we're going to get it. But I want to see basically an episode from that 90s cartoon come to life on screen. So fingers crossed. I don't really think we're going to get that. I don't like to be negative. But... You know, it is what it is at this point. You know, Fox has, for whatever reason, shifted it to, I think, a June 7th from sometime in February, the day after the trailer drops. So again, I don't know if that's a weird reaction to, I don't know if it's a positive reaction or negative. You know, they've moved this into a space that's closer to some bigger films. You know, February is a time where you can have some running room if you're the only film. You know, we saw this with Deadpool. Yes, it will run into Captain Marvel at some point. So I don't know if it's a shift away from that to give it two, three weeks of running room. But at the same time, you know, it's no longer sitting in, you know, what's traditionally known as the wasteland of film releases. It's kind of butting up against or really after Avengers 4. So it seems like, again, a weird move. You know, are they tweaking this? We know they're going through reshoots. Are they trying to change this? Is this actually a mess? You know, has Simon Kimberg delivered X-Men The Last Stand times two? I don't know. But from what I'm seeing here, it looks like an X-Men film. It looks what we've come to expect from that Marvel or that Fox Marvel universe. And what this does for me is it makes me very excited for what's to potentially come next in the MCU with the addition of the X-Men. Well, guys, that is my first solo podcast here in the nerd room um i'd like to thank you guys for listening and the boys will be back the snow will hopefully melt here in calgary in the next week or so and we'll have all three of us back at the table next week to touch on this trailer a little bit but also break down all the recent news in the worlds of stars marvel and dc now if you'd like to be part of this show you can always email us at the nerdram at gmail.com you can hit us up on facebook or twitter our handles are at the end of the episode and you can always check us out everything that we're doing on the nerdroom.net and starwarscommonwealth.com i want to give a shout out to my dude rob wade he is always promoting us on emotionally 14 so make sure to check out everything that he is doing over there including talk stores on emotionally 14 
TSWRoundtable.com. You can also catch me in the next couple weeks on the TSW Roundtable with Rob Cass. We will be reviewing Empire Strikes Back. And then TSW Comics, I believe the third week of October, we'll be discussing the recently announced Age of Republic, Rebellion, and Resistant comic books, this big 30-issue maxi-series, as well as breaking down in a bit more detail the Vader number 20 and 21 issues. So, for the Nerd Room, and until next week, guys, I'm Tim, and thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay, on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sanjabi. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyrim's Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.